Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We found working in a three, actually, now we feel like, God, how could anyone ever be a director on their own? Because especially as being women, I think we were able to support each other um, and we kind of discussed this idea of having a tag team. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Balancing Acts. In this conversation, I talk to the co-directors of the documentary Taranga, Sophia Seymour, Daisy Squires and Lou Marilia. Hi, this is Steve Wiley, comedian, actor, filmmaker and writer, all-round ADHD creative. And welcome to my new podcast, Balancing Acts, where I talk to an array of creatives ranging from comedians, actors, directors, all sorts. And we talk about how they find a sense of balance or not between their creative lives and their everyday lives and how that has an impact on their mental health and beyond. Balancing Acts is made in association with the comedy crowd who support independent comedy creators. They showcase the best new videos on ComedyCrowdTV.com and across media platforms. They support independent comedy creators and showcase the best new videos, including adult animation, sketch shows, web series, viral hits, and lots more. So if you're a creator, then do check them out. So this chat is a little bit more serious-minded, It's uh, and, and rightly so, because the subject matter deserves it so uh, held back from being my uh, usual silly self and had a lovely conversation with the co-directors Sophia, Daisy and Lou of Taranga. Uh, it's a documentary film which follows Fata and Yankuba who are asylum seekers and they've uh, fled from a dictatorship in um, Libya and Gambia and uh, they are now in, in Naples and they find themselves in, in politicized limbo. And they find solace in a migrant-run nightclub called Taranga. So the documentary is, is beautifully done. And uh, it's very powerful and really humanizes the migrant's struggle or asylum seekers' struggle uh, upon coming to Europe. So it was such a, such a brilliant documentary. And I'm so pleased I got to talk to them about the process of how the documentary came about, how they all met because they didn't really know each other prior to to working on this project i think sophia and daisy had worked together on one project previously but they weren't friends before that so 
Really interesting how they all came about. Sophia's from the UK, but now lives in Naples. Daisy lives in London, and I believe Lou lives in Stockholm. So they come from all over, but they've collaborated. They spent three years creating this project, which was produced with The Guardian and and, uh, distributed online, The Guardian. It was so inspiring to hear how they just fully immerse themselves in this world and sort of that opened them up to to everything that you see in this documentary and and also the experiences they had along the way. So it's, uh, as I said, it's different to the usual episodes, but it's a really great chat and I think you're going to enjoy it. So over to Sophia, Daisy and Lou. Perfect. So I am joined now. This is the first time a balancing act I've done this. It's going to be quite a balancing act to to get to get this uh, working in a, in an efficient manner. But I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm joined by Sophia, Daisy, and Lou, who are the co-directors of Taranga. We all met at uh, it was Aesthetica, wasn't it? Film festival last year, and uh, I saw their documentary, and it kind of it blew me away really you guys made it it was produced in uh, conjunction with um, in association with guardian and came out earlier this year time by the way is blurred for me right now because of lockdown i have no idea what month or year we are in so <laughs> forgive me if my timeline is inaccurate so over to I, you're gonna have to decide between sophia i'm gonna start with you Rather than uh, me explain uh, the documentary, do you want to uh, do you want to briefly explain um, the background to the documentary and and how it came to be? So we made Taranga over the course of three years. We released it on February the fifth, just before the epidemic struck the world. Yeah, and uh, we. Daisy and I were working on a BBC documentary called Exodus, which was following the lives of the journeys of migrants as they left their homes and arrived in Europe. And Daisy was a producer and I was a local fixer. And we realised there was a kind of gap in the storytelling um, where uh, the lives of West African migrants who are normally, who are kind of considered by the media as economic migrants, their story uh, was was less less of a story that was being told. And we realized that there were these, we came across these huge centers in the middle of the countryside where hundreds of young men were living uh, and waiting for their documents and trying to forge a life in this uh, period of limbo where they're kind of citizens from nowhere with no rights um, and could be waiting for up to five years for for results on their asylum claim. And within that space, we saw an enormous amount of resistance and joy and uh, strength to kind of get up every morning and attack the world and, and be with friends and try and stay sane. And we were interested in capturing that moment where uh, you're not sure, you're, you're, we conceptualized it as this waiting room where you're you're in this waiting room, you're in limbo. What happens in that waiting room and how do the human beings survive? And before you made this documentary, you so you guys are collaborating together. And then Lou, how did you come to be a part of this project? Um, I knew Daisy from a conference originally and we were both interested in the same kind of stories. And we had collaborated before on a documentary in Venezuela uh, about 
young women and how young women were getting sterilized at a very young age, like 20, 21, for life because they couldn't afford to have children. So we went to Venezuela together. And as we were preparing to go to Venezuela, actually, Daisy and Sophia were talking about making a documentary in Naples and touching upon all these things that Sophia just said. And we actually couldn't go to Venezuela at that point because it was too dangerous. And so instead, Daisy kind of took me with her to Naples and I met Sophia and yeah, it was amazing. And like, I think we all kind of clicked immediately and it really worked out, which was amazing. And it's kind of, we really didn't know when we started that we would embark on this three year kind of crazy thing we did and that we would meet every month and like sleep on Sophia's roof or like sofa <laughs> literally every month and that we would make it to do something it was kind of miraculous that it happened yeah i mean it just sounds like such a an adventure that you guys have been on over the last three years you know to get to this point and daisy prior to um, this project and obviously you worked on exodus before had you been working on then on the production side of things on on making documentaries rather than directing or would you be doing a bit of both yeah, so, so my background, um, I studied social anthropology and then after university kind of weaved my way into the doc TV documentary industry, starting out as like a researcher and then slowly making work my way up as, to a producer and now, um, yeah, from an assistant producer to a producer. Um, and kind of learning each project you go on is, is totally, totally different. You're working with a new team, a new independent production company on a new project and a new topic. So every time you start a new project, you're kind of starting from scratch. And so you're kind of, you're, you become quite resilient and quite, um, yeah, being able to just start something new and kind of take all your skills and bring them to each project. Um, so working with Lou and Sophia was we've all come from slightly different backgrounds um, and, and made it work really, kind of learning as we went and each bringing our kind of different backgrounds to the project. Amazing. So that's actually what's going to ask next. Like, how do you go about co-directing a project when there's three of you? How do you how do you decide like who's going to take on what responsibilities and what do you do when you have a difference of opinion? Shall I start? So I guess um, it was a real learning curve, and you know, to this day we're all kind of still learning and you know working on how we communicate and how how it works and functions. Um, and I think from the get-go, we all kind of had total respect um, for each other and a real kind of kind of want to make it work. And through that kind of um, collaboration and kind of deep respect for each other, we've kind of really forged our way through it all. Um, and I would say we've had our, you know a few little ups and downs, but most most of the time, it's it's it was been through making lots of mistakes and coming out the other end and just talking about it and discussing it. And I guess, you know, Lou is really good at um, editing, which neither Sophia or I can do. Um, Sophia and I have learned how to film a little bit, which has been great. <laughs> um, and obviously Sophia speaks Italian, which is great because me and Lou don't, and we're, we're trying to learn Italian. So it's a real kind of pick and mix of skills that we're trying to pull together but with deep kind of love and respect for each other and like kind of admiration for each other, I guess. We found working in a three, actually now we feel like, God, how could anyone ever be a director on their own? Because 
especially as being women, I think we were able to support each other. Um, and we kind of discussed this idea of having a tag team. So sometimes there'd be two of us working super hard on it and one person would have to check out because of their other jobs or life commitments. And then it would swivel around and then I would duck out and Lou and Daisy would take the reins and we were able to, to kind of, that's how we were able to do it for three years because we, we did this project totally unfinanced. Um, so it was always in between jobs and working out how to kind of fit in and put in our, our, our labor. Amazing. I cause, cause I could see in the credits, you guys, it was like a real team effort. You guys have all done a bit of everything. And Lou, am I right in saying you were DOP for this, for the majority of it? Yeah. I mean, DOP. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's difficult because we filmed, you know, Sophia was in Naples the whole time and really the film is based on relationships that she had kind of built prior to the documentary. And because we weren't able to be there at all time, you know, and also like because of this access that she had, she filmed a lot as well with her phone to, to begin with. And then when we came, like we filmed with Daisy also filmed. And we all kind of, yeah, it went like around, I guess. But yeah, we all did some filming. And Yankuba and Pata also filmed themselves, which was really helpful. Yeah, because you and have a nice, nice contrast then, like between yeah. sort of like their footage. But the, yeah, the footage that you guys shot is beautifully shot. Were you just were you just were you just filming on a DSLR or? We're filming on an A7S, but also okay. we got help from a friend who's called Max Cutting and who came and filmed at the end as well with an FS7, okay. and he also made it look really beautiful. It wouldn't have looked as beautiful without he, him. Who is a badass filmmaker? She's just being really modest. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, but we also learned it was an amazing that. time. Like it's amazing that we did that. We really learned, I think, and maybe one can tell from the footage as well, like from the beginning of the film to the end. We all learned so much constantly. So I think we got better, hopefully, at everything that we were doing. You know, would it be like filming, but even like interviewing, like deciding what the film was about, like everything got better with the years. And I think you can kind of see that in the footage as well. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say that, so I was going to say, What's interesting is like in terms of how this came about, I guess it wouldn't have been possible if Sophia, you hadn't been living in Naples at the time. So do you want to just explain what led you to be living in Naples at that point? Yeah, so um, I'd actually studied in Naples a few years before and got the bug, fell in love with the city. Um, everyone's always like, did you fall in love with a Napolitano? <laughs> and I always have to say no. Uh, but, <laughs> but so yes, yeah, so I fell in love with the city and I was determined to come back. And I came back in 2015, which was peak migrant crisis in the news every day, boats washed up on the shores of Italy, deaths, um, horrendous news. And you would be crazy not to uh, be feeling somewhat engaged in that uh, situation living in the south of Italy so I quickly kind of put out I remember kind of that being very much at the forefront of my mind when I arrived and uh, my boyfriend at the time was involved in a Afro Napoli football team which was actually doing really well and was getting loads of press and um, so I used to be a wag and I'd go up on the bus and <laughs> out on the outskirts of the city and go and watch these games where there was just like a full team of West Africans playing all the local kind of hard hardy suburb teams um and coming back on the bus and everyone's singing reggaeton on the way back and drinking wow. vodka 
it was great. And so I got kind of, it had a sort of taster of the community that was a, the, 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 the community that thrives and is constant in Naples of, of various cultures that have come in and are seeking asylum. Uh, and through that, I bumped into people in the local square and not being from Naples uh, and trying to make friends, I suppose, at that time, I found them, I found it much easier, actually, honestly, to make friends with a lot of the people, especially from the Gambia, uh, who there, there seemed to be a kind of affinity in understanding, I guess, of British culture, which is interesting because they were colonised and are negative, but at the same time, a mutual understanding of living and me having grown up in London and understanding about multicultural places. I don't know. And they felt safer, I guess, not with Italians who they had a kind of distrust with. Anyway, that was kind of how we got involved. And then one of my friends invited me to this nightclub and he, it was actually to celebrate Bob Marley. And I was really skeptical. <laughs> Thought, mm, don't know if I want to go to, uh, I, was, I was unsure about what that was going to be like. Anyway, I didn't go. And then when Daisy and Lou came to stay, I said, oh, there's this club that everyone seems to go to. Uh, and we ended up going to a Gambian independence party, celebrating independence from the British, uh, which was interesting. And we had an incredible time. All of these um, men just dancing to their local uh, artist, who was also a migrant living in a camp somewhere who used to be famous in the Gambia with lighters going absolutely bonkers. And we were on this kind of bench, spritz in hand and kind of, saw the, the, the most amazing kind of joy in the room but sort of also a deep sadness when we were there was also a deep sadness when we realized the trauma that every single person in this room would have gone through to get to Italy and to be in that club the the journey across the desert and across the sea and life enslaved and captured in Libya uh, kind of hit us all at the same time and in many ways that was kind of the inspiration for the for the film to look beyond uh the surface of things and kind of try and see what was going on behind and the the two protagonists of the documentary they're so captivating how did you guys find them was it was it a, a case of like pure luck or was it based on what you were just describing you meet one person then you meet somebody else and they introduce you to how, how did that happen so we're talking about uh Fatan and yukuba daisy do you want to answer that um so Fata um was a kind of a very close friend of ours um really good friend so very much in like in in the crew and he was instantly you wanted to be his friend he was like the coolest guy in town um so kind of so vibrant and he just kind of wanted to stick around him and we kind of slowly got to know fatter um and i kind of at the end of these club nights you'd, you'd leave and then you'd realize you know we were all heading home to sleep on Sophia's rooftop and Fatter and a lot of his friends were all taking, you know, a three hour bus in the middle of the night back to their camp on the top of the hill and, you know, the outskirts of Naples. And over time, Fatter slowly kind of, we got to know him and we went to stay in his camp and saw him kind of, you know, he invited us on when he'd buy his bikinis in the summer and, you know, selling umbrellas in the winter. And we kind of got to know him slowly. Um, and, and Yankuba, we were actually filming um, with with an, with someone else called Nyong at, at at the time who um, is actually not in the film, but through him and he was a cultural mediator working in one of these kind of um, asylum centres where lots of people live, um, and he was a cultural mediator. Uh, and through him, we were in the car one day filming, and this kind of little this kid popped his head through the window, 
um, and just start, started chatting to Chen Yong, the guy we were filming, and he just started rapping and just started singing this song and was just, you know, said hello to us. Um, and, and then he just walked off and we were like, wow, who is this kid? He just, you know, had so much um, kind of life to him. And so then we got his number and it turned out he lived in the center which Nyong was working at and which also a center which we were interested in because of like the corruption that was happening. Um, so through that, we, we slowly got to know Yang Cuba. And, and, and as it turned out, like Yang Cuba, um, you know, was, had so many passions and was, was studying in his camp um, and was also doing gigs at the weekend and just had so much. We kept finding out more and more and more about him. And to this day, he still, you know, surprises us with the things that he's doing. Um, and it was just quite clear that it was more just we wanted to hang out with them and find out more. And then through that, that's where kind of the film but why we, we, we stuck with Yang Cuba and Fata. There, there are so many amazing young people that you know, could, have, could have been in the film. There was an amazing dynamic that happened uh, very early on for me, pre-filming really, where um, I met a lot of the, especially the Gambian community, just hanging out in, in, local, in Piazza Bellini, this local square. Um, and lots of them being like, you're British, why do you live here? And me kind of wanting to explain how how cool I thought Naples was and how much, uh, what a great life they could have here. And then very quickly, I was trying to show them how cool Naples is and then the power dynamic switched as soon as I became close friends where they were like, right, this is where we hang out. These are the clubs that we go to. These are the secret restaurants up on the fourth floor of this building by the station where we're gonna have Senegalese. And suddenly we were blown away by their life and, and the power dynamics completely shifted and we were swept up in their world and completely taken over by it. and every day we were filming, we'd kind of be buzzing like around the city, like discovering all these new places. So for us, it was an, it was an absolute event, ending up in a, hiding in a room with, you know, they'd laid out um, biscuits and chocolate and got, you know, with their two euros a day that they have, they tried to give us the, the best hospitality possible. I felt like a mum, I would kind of clean the bathroom and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's really amazing to see, you know, given their circumstances, how optimistic and positive they remained and following you know those two in particular their journey i think it was a fatter who, who is trying to make it as a as a dj right and um yakubu who, who has got a place at uh, is it bangor university but at the moment he doesn't have the funds to to go and study there what what's amazing about that documentary is just how you humanize them um and i just sort of like I just want people to, you know, people who are sort of like anti-migrant uh, and come up with the same arguments and um, we don't want them here and everything. You just watch that documentary and I, I don't see how you can't be, by, be moved not only by their plight, but their response and their reaction to their situation. How does it affect you all? Like you see that and obviously you're doing what, what you've done with the documentary and and we'll talk about also what, what's happened since the documentary and, and what you've been doing since then to get the message out there. How does it affect you all when you become sort of so immersed in their lives, but there's only so much you can do to, to help them in, in their situation? I think we always, um, well, there are a few kind of layers to that. The first thing is we, because it was, it felt really kind of collaborative with them. Yeah. And it was always kind of discussions about what, and as you, as Sophia said, like we, 
constantly learned what the documentary was from being with them, if that makes sense. And it was kind of like Young Cuba would voice so well, like what happened in Taranga and how we felt kind of taken by, you know, the trauma there and also the need for joy and the need for like being alive despite it all. Yeah. We voiced this so well and they explained it so well. And that was kind of, and so it felt like because they were looking for that joy and because what, we wanted to show was that and it's kind of like this subtle but we felt really important thing that like you don't just survive like you go through all of these things that they were going through and that was really hard to kind of witness and then yeah we should talk about how we help and like how we, there is that only as much as we can do but you see these things and then we saw them kind of fighting back in a way that was so inspirational and that kept them and us kind of you know, um, motivated and also made us feel like we could say something that was positive and that showed that, you know, like the really important thing is that even in this situation, they succeed in having fun and kind of like being alive and being, and that's quite, you know, it's a really violent process to have to wait for years in camps where, you know, in corrupted camps and to not know what's going to happen to you. Like, and waiting, this waiting is so violent. And they still find ways to, yeah, kind of just not only survive, but kind of like live and like be alive. And I think that made it, you know, there are a lot of traumatic things that happen in these camps and that happen in their lives, but faced with such like optimism, like their optimism, it felt kind of, it was easier, you know, it felt like we could only kind of, be optimistic with them and show that part of their lives. And then also, I think, but then you guys can also talk about that, but we, yeah, there's only as much as you can do and they still had to go back to their camps in the evenings where, when we didn't, yeah. you know, and that's a massive thing. And I think we've tried to make choices as kind of, we decided early on that we would make decisions as like human beings first and then like kind of filmmakers second. And sometimes that was tough decisions when we kind of, you know, when they would, we didn't leave them in situations that were horrible. Sometimes, even though like filming it might have meant more for the country, just because we felt like that wasn't a priority then, you know. And I think, and that was constant discussions amongst them ourselves and with them, about what to do in these situations. And I think when you film vulnerable people or people in vulnerable situations uh, that's something you kind of have to ask yourself all the time Perfect. hello sorry to interrupt in the middle of this insightful conversation which i'm enjoying i'm sure just as much as you are but i need to give you guys a little reminder uh, if you like this conversation this episode if you like balancing acts in general then please do subscribe to us rate and review us because it makes the world of difference and the more reviews we get the more rates we get the more people can discover the podcast and we can make it go viral whatever that means okay back to the chat also importantly not capitalizing on trauma and black trauma and that's really 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 important and something that i think has come out of the black lives matter movement as well um on how to uh, tell stories which aren't just white journalists taking advantage of a certain situation and um it's not something that we felt that we had a full grasp of but by constantly asking ourselves con- uh, the questions and keeping us all collaborating together with the 
contributors and in our work and including them in our workflow we um we were very you know we wanted to tell the story how we lived it and the way that we lived it was hanging out then going to taranga hanging out in camps playing football going down to the sea whatever these things were that we were doing with them we wanted the audience to kind of hang out with them as we experienced hanging out with them rather than trying to weave in another narrative to sell a film about migration um, that was kind of the the strong uh impulse right i mean because they were they they were like round at your apartment when they were sort of like partying together just having fun like you said you you just became friends and then i think that's what allowed it to have such a an intimate feel like they you can see that they clearly trusted you yeah well they were around my house every weekend uh cooking gambian food which looked delicious by the way i wanted to ask (laughs) i was i was like had food envy watching that i was like oh yeah yeah can you can we please can you please like delve into what the gambian food consists of oh it's so delicious we put all put on about 12 kilos over the space of um filming but uh so there's domoda, which is um, which is banging because it's just peanut butter and chicken. Oh, okay. <laughs> peanut butter, and they make this really delicious short rice. So it's really like, and it gets burnt at the top of the, the bottom of the pan, and that's kind of the prize bit. You get this like burnty, crispy rice at the bottom. Okay. Uh, and then there's also just sauce, uh, which is just chicken and potatoes and tomatoes, and in a kind of soupy kind of casserole that you have with rice as well in there. They're, they're super good. There's this amazing Senegalese senora who work, who has the secret restaurant in Naples, which we always go to in her flat. Okay. And you can go up at any time of day. And you, she's feeding everyone who can't afford to eat and wow. those that can pay and those that can't, can't. And we kind of, over the time, given her donations and things. But she's, um, yeah, you, when you come, we'll, we'll go for Senegalese. In sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Say, say that again, Daisy. Kiara, the woman who runs the uh, the Senegalese restaurant, has an amazing um, yassa dish, which I okay. highly recommend. Okay, fantastic. In answer to your question, just about kind of the process of making a film and then just not abandoning the contributors, I think that we were really, really aware of that. And, um, you know, me opening up my flat and things doesn't just stop at the end of the film. That was happening before and will continue to happen. And through lockdown, we are really aware that many, many, many migrants living in the south of Italy were without contracts and without support. Uh, and so we're not heroes by the best of days, but we did a fan base to try and raise money to distribute food parcels every week during COVID, um, just kind of on behalf of Taranga, kind of trying to give back a little bit as well as best as we could. Right, so the club... Um were almost shut down and so we also kind of um kind of i guess tried to help support taranga keep going as well what what's amazing about taranga as well is that um most of uh, correct me if i'm wrong but most of the guys that go there are are muslims so then they're having this amazing time they're not drinking any alcohol and it sort of has a very sort of like i don't know just like nourishing feel to it they're just there enjoying the music it's not like over here where everyone's doing shots am i am i right in thinking that yeah it's, 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 there's a real um mixture of, of people who go to taranga there's like the a, yeah a big proportion are um 
Muslim, yeah, don't drink or smoke, but just you know, go there to dance and have a good, good time, hang out with their mates, like in a really safe space. Um, and there's also a kind of Neapolitan contingent who kind of, there's a lot of really cool um, Neapolitan dancers who, again, who just go to dance and like, you know, these kind of troops of incredible dancers who we were all standing on the sidelines, very envious of everyone's moves, kind of spotting in the corner. Um, <laughs> Did you join in? Uh, no, we, I think we would have made it embarrass ourselves if we joined in, but we looked in admiration. Um, and so yeah, it was, a, there's a, it's, you know, it's just a really safe space for kind of everyone um, of all ages. And, um, and that, I guess that's why it makes it and feel so special is that everyone's welcome um, and kind of people go there for completely different wants and needs, but find a kind of safe space. And Lou, how did the Guardian come on board to produce the project? Because I know you said at the beginning, you know, you found your way as you went along with this. So there wasn't a sort of a clear uh, plan from the beginning. So at what stage did they come on board? Um, I think after a year and a half, two years of filming, um, we approached them with the project and they were interested. And then the way it worked is like, we were kind of almost, yeah, it was two years probably. We were almost done with filming, but kept on going for a few months here and there and started editing. So we did the edit at The Guardian and kind of, but, you know, from, you know, early on, we weren't, we knew that we wanted it to be about this um, will to kind of live through, live, decide everything and want to show that, but we weren't sure how. And also we wanted to touch upon the corruption that exists in um, reception centres in Naples, specifically in Italy, that like, you know, receive money from the European Union and like, Basically, each centre gets 30 to 35 euros a day per migrant to give them essentials, sort of like hot water, food, social services, or these kind of things. And they don't, often migrants don't receive these services and instead the money is pocketed by um, corrupted you know, migrant um, reception centre owners. Are those centres run or are they sort of, uh, yeah, are they run in collaboration with, with Mafia? Is that how it works? Well... Yeah, I mean, they're often privately run and, yeah. you know, mafia is kind of, yeah, they're, they're run by um, criminals and there has been kind of mafia owners that have been um, on trial for it. And yes, that is, so we wanted to show that because we could see it's like with our own eyes when we're visiting, you know, different people and that was kind of like the beginning. And then we got to know, so Fatang and Kuba got to know their personal stories learned about Tiranga and it became more kind of targeted about the club and the, the role that that club played because we felt like that was a way as Sophia said to kind of not you know um not only show like kind of like the misery but also show the fight back through music and through dancing and all that so yeah the guardian came on board after we had kind of found this angle and we edited with them published it on their website and then we did a longer version for the BBC iAfrica later this year. Awesome. It's cool that you just sort of, you went into this almost sort of just like blindfolded and you've just, you've, you know, you've come out with this amazing project and, and now it's sort of taken a life 
of its own, hasn't it? Really, since since it's come out, do you want to do you want to talk to me, Sophia? Do you want to talk about what's happened since it's been released and and the kind of things that you've been doing in terms of giving talks and and so forth? Yeah, so it's definitely had its a life of its own, which is we're really really pleased and honoured that it's having such an impact. I think for, for all of us initially, um, yes, we wanted to make a film for our own joy and interest, but Fundamentally, we wanted people to experience these people as as some kind of activism towards changing perceptions around migrants, and especially West African migrants who are often um, uh, discredited and their lives are often just kind of not, not considered valuable. And so in the way that it's reported in the press. And so when we first started lots of journalists in Italy especially were just like there's no chance in hell that anyone in Italy is going to promote this documentary or write about it so when uh it came out and we were interviewed in kind of every major newspaper in Italy uh the not there wasn't a pride that the documentary was being talked about there was a pride in talking about the documentary they were talking positively about the about the situation and for that for that we were incredibly proud and honoured um, and then after that we've we've had lovely uh, we've su- uh, submitted to festivals and had premieres and Q&A's and, and lots of the kind of standard things but a couple of the things that stood out for us are uh, the first was that in uh, we found out that in a school in Seville a teacher had been using the documentary to teach their 12 year old kids about immigration and had put together a Q&A that they had to do for, uh, yeah, a comprehension that they had to do wow. for their work, which we were absolutely so thrilled. Cool. And like for us, that made it. And then yeah. there was another really beautiful thing uh, that we found out that the Senegalese community had organised a screening on their own behalf uh, after a football game. They showed the football game and then they showed Taranga and were so proud to kind of own it and call it their own. So for us, that felt like a huge uh, privilege. Uh, yeah, otherwise, all, all the normal things like uh, press and, and festivals have, has been really, really great. But uh, those for us have been the most important moment. Brilliant. And Daisy, what can people who watch Taranga and feel like they want to do something to help, what would you advise or where would you point them to if they, if they want to help in any kind of way? Yeah, it's such a good question and such a hard one to answer. And I guess there's a few things. So... Firstly, it's like, I guess what the aim of the documentary is to kind of humanise the issues at hand and the way that we kind of did that was through making friends and kind of real genuine connections with people where you get to learn and properly understand someone else's life. So I think that's kind of number one is like really when next time when you kind of are on your beach holiday in South Italy and you see someone selling, I don't know, black, you know, bikinis on the beach like that could be fatter um you know just try and kind of humanize and take the time to get to know people and your neighbors and you know so that's number one um i guess number two like yankuba uh, um as the the documentary kind of uh ends yankuba um has had applied for university in bangor and since then, he, he's decided that he can't afford to go to university in the UK anymore because he would be charged international fees, making it totally unaffordable. So he's decided to kind of change tack and 
um, he's applied and he's taking his exams this week actually like two days ago he took his um, entrance exam for medical school in Italy which we're like insanely insanely proud of um, and we've set up a crowdfunder um, which we set up after the release of the film and now we're um, trying our very best to um, keep the money coming in so he can afford his university fees in Italy to study medicine um, and we hope that to, to be able to support him through the crowdfunder over the next five years um, if he gets in. So we would um, encourage people. Can people to find that? He, he's in an exam as we speak, by the way. Okay. <laughs> he was sleeping on my sofa last night and uh, <laughs> he has to do the IMAT, which is like the most crazy test. It's verbal reasoning and logic and maths and general knowledge. And uh, he's very, nice. very confident. <laughs> so we're Wow, okay. So, so the crowdfunder uh, on our website, mm. uh, which is tarangadocumentary.com, I think. Um, we'll share it with you so you can share it far and wide. Add it into the show notes as well. Amazing. Um, and I guess other than that, there's like so many great um, NGOs and like, you know, charities, help refugees, um, who do amazing things like across, across Europe and the world. And but I think for us, it's the most valuable thing has really been um, kind of on a personal level, getting to know someone and kind of helping an individual where you, um, where you can. Yeah, what an amazing thing to do. And now you've obviously had this incredible experience together. And you, like you said, you, you almost prefer working as a team than individually. Have you got any projects lined up? Have you got something lined up next? We do. We've just recently set up a production company. Great. Uh, called Isosceles Productions. And we inspire. What, what do you, should we talk about things we've got, come, we hope to, to do? Yeah, we've, uh, we've realised that, you know, it's got to be, migration's got to be Italy. <laughs> um, uh, we, we're, we're looking at a coming of age story about a young boy that was uh, on a rescue boat with when he was pulled out of the sea in, from a dinghy in um, 2015. And we're hoping to trace his life until he is 20. Now he'll be coming to be 17, but we're not sure yet. How, that's all in the early stages, depending on funding and access. But yeah, we really hope to do, to, to work together in the future and use this model of collaborative filmmaking uh, as a way to encourage other women as well to work together, especially when you get into your 30s and with childcare and things that hopefully it's more of a sustainable way of working. Yeah. Yeah, I think like from the moment I met you guys, I just thought it was so cool, the whole story about how you'd all just collaborated and at certain points just being in different countries and working on this project together and, you know, putting out something really good into the world. And at the same time, it seems like having, you know, an, an amazing time obviously hard at times, but having an amazing time doing it as well. So where can people find out more from you guys? I'll oh, go on, Sophia, have I missed something? Yeah, I just wanted to, I always, the girls are gonna laugh because I always uh, do a little promotion, but uh, the music was also- The music was amazing. <laughs> the music is so, so good. And that is made by uh, Asylum Seekers in Naples who have a DIY studio behind the station. And they released an EP, they, none of them have their documents yet, but they released an EP alongside the documentary in January. 
and that is called um they are called Doza Scarlet. No, they're called okay. Doza Gang. Sorry, they changed their name in January. Doza Gang. And you can find that EP on YouTube. It's free. Um, and we are still looking. The, the plan is we, we promoted them a lot on the radio. And I'm sure if you wanted to weave in some songs into this podcast, you can. But we kind of got them into um, NTS and various radio stations right. in January, and we're trying to get them a record deal. So if anyone's listening, <laughs> I might be able to put you in touch with someone. We'll we'll have a talk after. I know a man who knows a man. <laughs> right. Goes back to our music industry days, Steve. Exactly, exactly. Okay, guys. Um, well, thank you for your time. It's been great chatting to you. And it actually wasn't that chaotic. We think we've managed to do this in a very orderly and mannered fashion. So well That's done. Work. Three of us. Um, <laughs> yeah. can be your little tagline. In orderly fashion. Um, Instagrams, people, when are, you wanna, is that something you want to do? Where can people follow you all individually? Lou? Uh, individually at Lou Marillier M-A-R-I-L-L-I-E-R but the documentary is at Teranga Documentary right and also at <laughs> Isosceles Productions or New Production House Isosceles Production yeah. right lots of films coming to you soon yes um, and Fata is he would love you to follow him yes, yes. he is He's, he's, he's going to be famous. He wants to be famous. He is Fatter Lifestyle TV on Instagram. Okay. And he has all sorts of brilliant videos of him working out in the gym and DJing and making mixtapes. Great. Okay. Well, be sure to check him out. And um, finally, where can people watch the documentary? On the Guardian website. Okay. Not sure right. where you find it. Say that again. Sorry, Daisy. So um, a longer version, um, which came out on BBC Africa Eye. But we're not entirely sure how you find it. But if you're lucky it's enough to there. find it, it's out there. Okay. If you're, stream, if you're watching national TV in, Ga- in Ghana, it might be on there. Okay. <laughs> Apparently, that's what they told us. Fine. <laughs> and so, fine, Daisy, do you want to... Is there anywhere anyone can follow you guys individually? Um, at Daisy Squires. Okay. At Sophia Seymour. Okay, I will also add all of that into the show notes. All right. Well, I think we covered stuff, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> Good chat. Good chat. Um, look, <laughs> yeah. Gone. It's been great. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Like I said, I thought it was such a brilliant documentary. Everything about it, and um, yeah, very moving. And but also funny. There's some really funny moments, like the bit um, when they're watching the Spider-Man video, crawling up to uh, to to save the baby. I won't give it away, but it's um, made me lol. Made me lol. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Well, look, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Right, thank you. you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Perfect. We have it. Episode 40, would you believe, in the can, or also known as episode 10, series 5. Just depends how you look at it. Either way, it's uh, it's a milestone. It is a milestone because uh, I did not think I would be recording 40 episodes. No, 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 no. 
you know, I, I wanted to record these. Uh, I came up with this idea. I've, I've mentioned this before because I was very curious to how creatives go about doing their thing. And during this whole uh, process of creating whatever it is that they are creating, how, how they uh, find a balance or not with their, with their mental health. I mean, I don't need to tell you all this. You know this. I mean, it even says it in the intro. So I'm just really wasting your time and my time. The point is, it's a very monumental uh, moment which I've just completely and utterly ruined so uh, let's all give a round of applause for that uh, fantastic so if you like this episode please do uh, rate and review the podcast on Apple and uh, subscribe if you haven't done already there's going to be lots more great conversations coming up soon I, I might start expanding the conversation and and, and start including some of my inner in a circle i i want to mix it up between having some you know more serious minded conversations like such as today and you know that's sort of deserved to be you know talked about in in such a manner with more silly more silly conversations so i might get this a guy called steve number two who's uh he's kind of like my brother-in-law but not and we have very very silly conversations whilst surfing uh, or cycling or rock climbing sometimes all three together at the same time so i've been uh, meaning to uh, invite steve onto the podcast because i think you really need to to hear him uh, i mean this this sort of rubbish that comes out of his mouth it's uh it's enjoyable to listen to he's a he's a barrel of laughs so steve number two might be coming on the podcast soon uh, as might some other of my uh, amigos and together we will chat shit okay uh i'm gonna leave it there and uh, thank you as always for listening and uh see you later balancing acts is made in association with the comedy crowd who support independent comedy creators they showcase the best new videos on comedycrowdtv.com and across media platforms they support independent comedy creators and showcase the best new videos, including adult animation, sketch shows, web series, viral hits, and lots more. So if you're a creator, then do check them out. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.